0: Haggai chapter 2, verse 19, here's an ancient question. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But God says from this day on I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. The United States of America has never been the epicenter of God's kingdom, never. Our government has never been the ordained means by which God would shake the nations. The Oval Office was never exalted by the almighty decree of God to be the place where we set our temperature about how the kingdom is going and how life is going and what God is doing in our generation. None of those things have ever been decreed by God. God has always said, I am doing a work that will last forever and everything else one day will fade into nothingness. And so we are called as the body of Christ To embrace in our hearts, our minds, and our wills an urgency about His mission. This is the fourth thread, and I believe while the other threads that we have discussed in this series will continue on as part of the DNA of this faith family, of New Bridge Church, I believe that in the early part of 2017 we will see this fourth thread begin to increase in its uh ability to be observed to be measured and we are going to be able to eat some fruit off of this table that has gone unseated at for a long time what am i talking about i'm talking about the mission Who we are must translate into what we do, and what God has called Christians to do is to advance the Gospel of Jesus Christ, not only from a pulpit on a Sunday, but as you are going, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is lived out, not by this imaginary clergy, but it is lived out by the body of Christ as we move forward. This morning I have asked the Lord to let me be intense and serious, but not come off sounding mean. So if I sound mean, I'm really a nice guy, but I want intensity this morning. The world comes against our minds with a ferocity and the church kind of offers diluted skim milk. And instead we need to offer something with fire on it. We're gonna go back 2,500 years into a time in Israel's history where they were transitioning back into knowing how to become the people of God. They had come out of captivity, they have been resettled in the land, and they've been given the commission by God through their leadership to restore the temple, to rebuild the temple. And the foundation has been laid for, but for anywhere from about 15 to 20 years. The people have left off of the building up of God's house, which would have been the visible pinnacle of God's kingdom to the Hebrews. They've left off that great work and they have begin to, begun to busy themselves with building up their own lives. And so God raises up some people in their midst chiefly among them a prophet named Zechariah and then also this prophet named Haggai and so Haggai is in this passage just a short book in the Bible two chapters a few prophetic words Haggai is now reacquainting them with what God is doing and some promises that God has said that he's going to do and from these words I want us to get reacquainted with some things I want us to be able to have the blinders torn away and recognize the things that have been encroached upon our lives, giving us tunnel vision where we can't see what God's doing out here, but we only see whatever has our, our fixation in that moment. We've got to tear the blinders down. We've got to be able to scan the horizon and be able to uh, uh, discern what is the Lord doing in my generation. And I believe through this message, God's going to reveal some of that to some of us. So... Let's start where Haggai starts in this uh, passage. In verse number 19, and I'm going to be a city boy, but I'm going to give an illustration from the farm today. God uses an illustration to probe the people of Israel. It begins with a question, is the seed yet in the barn? It's one of the rare occasions where we have a fixed date about when this prophecy was given. Uh, As the Hebrew calendar is referenced in the 24th day of the, I believe, the the ninth month, um, it would translate into uh, December around, I believe, December 18th uh, uh, in the the year uh, somewhere around 500 B.C., 520 B.C., and this is the question that God is asking because it would have been a little late in the harvest season. The planting should have occurred three months ago. Remember, an agrarian society, they're farmers. They eat, they sleep, they breathe, they live according to what the harvest is. It was a constant element of their trust in God. God had said, if you follow me and obey me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your crops, I'm going to bless your family, I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey me, you're going to see trouble hit your crops, you're going to see trouble hit your lineage, you're going to see trouble find your life. And so now as they were moving back into an intimate relationship, an obedient relationship with the Lord, the harvest time is approaching, but God asks the question to those who are expecting a harvest, He says, yeah, but is the seed still in the barn? It's a question that is meant to probe. Now, the answer is really not given. There are some scholars that believe that God was saying, hey, look, the seed's not in the barn because you've planted it, you've done everything you're supposed to do with it, and now it's a time of waiting, just trust me, I'm going to take care of you. And that's valid, that may be very well what it is, but it reads a little differently to me. Because there are other scholars also that say, no, what God is saying is, you expect a harvest, O Israel, but you know that the seed is still packed up in the barn. And we would say it this way, Lord, I want you to bless me. Lord, I want you to bless me and prosper me. And God, advance me and strengthen me. Lord, build my spirit. And God says, yeah, but you are more familiar with your snooze button than your Bible. Lord bless my finances God I want to be able to do so much for the kingdom I want to be able to do it and God would say yeah but your dimes are still in the piggy bank you're waiting for the imaginary ship to come in my child but you haven't sent a ship out. And so it's this idea uh, that that we have an expectation on god to do something great but sometimes god in his paternal care for us says i understand that you want what is great and want what is good and want what is righteous and you're expecting to bring in a harvest but you've not endeavored to plant the seed yet you've not endeavored to move forward i'll bring this back around because i'm not talking about finance today I'm not even talking about uh, your and my need to grow in our discipleship and depth and spiritual maturity. I'm talking about advancing the kingdom and how does this question apply to us? Well let's go further and I'll bring you back around to it. So God uses this illustration to probe but He also uses the illustration to point out. Look what He says. He's telling them to look around them. He does that a lot in Haggai by the way. He says consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways. And He says indeed the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. Those were staples in the Old Testament, oftentimes referring to different aspects of the national life of Israel. Uh, the pomegranate, not as much as the vine and the fig tree and the olive tree. But what the Lord is saying here, He's talking to them agriculturally, but He's speaking to a kingdom issue. He's saying, I want you to look around. You know that the season is coming, but as you look on the, on the fields, as you look on the vineyards, as you look in the orchards, do you see anything budding? Do you see anything coming? Can you witness that the process has actually begun? And the implied answer is that no, there's nothing there. No, Lord, we, we don't see anything. Lord, Lord, we we know that the time is approaching here in the not too distant future where where it should become harvest time. But Lord, now we're looking out there and and because three months ago we failed to plant, we failed to release, we did not yield beforehand. Now in the present moment there's nothing to reap. Now notice that the Lord is not denouncing them. He's just calling them to do an honest investigation of what, what they observe and what they what they see in their own lives and in their national life. So he's saying the seed's still in the barn, the orchards and the vineyards and all of the other places where the time is coming that there should be a harvest, they're showing no signs. Now if if you have this concept of God as the angry God and the condemning God and the harsh God against His children, then you may struggle to believe the end of verse 19 because God uses also this illustration to promise. Look at what he says. He says, the seeds in the barn, there's no fruit. And he says, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. Now that I have your attention from this day on, I, God, am going to bless you. One of the interesting things about the way that the Lord works in our lives And it's unfortunate that you and I are living in a generation where, uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on spiritual leaders to dull their message, to take the, the potential sharp edges off, to remove the possibility of discomfort or conviction, or or God forbid that we ever, you know, correct or rebuke or confront something going on. There's this dullness and this roundedness, this, it, it poses at times as, as, as kindness, but oftentimes it's not kindness, it's neglect. We would never say that if our child was reaching towards a hot eye on the stove, we would never say, you know, I don't, I don't want to make my little child uncomfortable. So we whisper from across the room, you might not want to do that. <laughs> what would we say? We'd say, that's a lousy mom. We'd say, that's a lousy dad. If, if you're within proximity, you know what you're going to do as the child is reaching up. You're going to smack that hand because you got to get what you got to get done quickly. And sometimes, uh, In the kingdom of God we have to be that voice of confrontation. We have to be willing to correct. We have to be willing to be sharp. And and unfortunately we live in a day where that's not happening. But the fact that we confront. The fact that we operate in truth. Even painful truth. The fact that we challenge. The fact that we have to point out error from time to time. It doesn't make us mean. Because what it does is it invites uh, uh, people the opportunity to be intellectually true. To become spiritually upright when they agree with the reality that God is putting forth. And so now God is able to say, I know you see the barrenness. I know you recognize that you expected a harvest, but you have not planted, but don't worry my child. I wanted to bring you to that place nationally Israel to where you address these questions. You feel the sting of your negligence, but I don't want you to walk forward in condemnation and shame and accusation. I want to tell you something. Yes, you've dropped the ball. Yes, you've, you've buried the seed in the sense of keeping it back. But yes, also my children from this day forward, now that we're in agreement. I'm going to bless you. Uh, If you haven't met him as the God of the do-over yet, I invite you to. He's the God of the do-over and the do-it-again over and the do-it-again over and the do-it-again over. God's not like me and you. God is very patient. He will wait till you get it. The worst thing he could do is leave us alone when we don't get it. But because he loves us when we don't get it, He comes to us over and over again. So I'm going to come back. I'm actually going to end the message on verse 19. So let's get down into verse 20 through 22, because you're saying some of you are sharp and you're thinking ahead and you're saying, what does this have to do with the mission? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go down into verses 20 to 22. Immediately on addressing Israel with this question another word comes from the Lord to Haggai, and this deals with the forecast of a major shakeup. Oh, and I get to put on my prophet's mantle to, today. My, my, my ability to just try to communicate what surely we can see in our generation. So look, the forecast of a major shakeup. Look in verse 20. When God wants to bring about awareness and movement in something He's about to do, God recruits individuals. That's how it always begins. God speaks to the few and the few begin to speak to the many. But he usually starts with a small group of people. And so we read here that the Word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So he got two sermons in one day. The previous one came and now he's got this other one. And here is the beginning of the Word. Haggai, you're the prophet. I want you to go to the governor with a weird name Zerubbabel. And I want you to say, and then he's going to tell him what to say. I I just find a parallel right now because obviously we are in perhaps the most strange political environment we've ever been in in America. And there's a lot I could say about that. A lot of pastors are preaching on the aftermath of the election this Sunday. And quite frankly I'd rather talk to you about it than just preach about it. The fact of the matter is that I don't think anybody should be dancing in the aisles. I think we need to be bending our knees and praying for our government. No matter how you voted last week this is a season where our government needs prayers. so there's my election sermon, don't say I didn't talk about it. But we're not talking about that primarily today, but I do find it interesting that when God wants to do something in a nation, He, he focused right here in this passage on both the, the uh, spiritual leadership and then the, the civic leadership, the governmental leadership. He spoke to a man named Zerubbabel who had the unfortunate and the difficult task of being the leader of the, of the remnant that returned back to Judah. Those that had to come back and rebuild after the devastation and the judgment of God had fallen. And so Zerubbabel was a leader who was getting hit. He was a governmental leader. He wasn't a priest. He, he didn't have any kind of religious ties in the kingdom. But he had God had raised this man up and said, you're going to be the man that I'm going to surround with two prophets. Zechariah and Haggai and they're going to pour into you but Zerubbabel you're the man that is going to make the action happen God does that a lot God will raise up people in government and just say you know what you're a tool in my hand I'm going to use you if you want to be blessed keep your eyes on me but if you don't want to be blessed and you don't keep your eyes on me I'm still going to use you to accomplish my purposes now Zerubbabel seemed to be a man that wanted to do what God wanted him to do it was just very interesting to me that Um, God chose to work through primarily three individuals at this point, Zechariah, who has the next book in your Bible, and then um, Haggai, and then Zerubbabel, just three guys that God was primarily working through. Now we live in a day where the New Testament clearly tells us that there is no difference between in the, in the sense of who can do what in God's kingdom and and where the power of God. There's no difference between male and female, and there's no difference between young and old. Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2 teach us that in the latter days God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and the result of that is men and women are going to be proclaiming and prophesying and speaking, and the young and the old are going to be doing that. So I, I want to just make a blanket statement here. You qualify as a born-again believer in whom dwells the spirit of God to be an individual through whom God or to whom God reveals some things of the kingdom and through whom God communicates. It's not always the person on the platform. It's not always the person in the seat next to you. It's not always the people that we admire in the kingdom. I, I believe primarily God works so often through individuals. And oftentimes those are the last people we would assume that God would go to. But Paul wrote the church at Corinth and said, by the way, you know, God's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. God's chosen the weak things to confound those that are strong. God has chosen the things that seem as nothing to bring down the things that think they are, paraphrasing there. So God reserves the right to move in an individual's life and it is highly likely that if you're hungry for God to speak to you and God to use you then He is working to that purpose right now. Just make sure of this don't assume the harvest of understanding is coming before you have, uh, have planted the seed of your submission under whatever He reveals to you. And so he chose some individuals. But here's what was going to be said, and this is where I want to head. This major shake-up involved a statement from God in Zerubbabel's day that overreaches now into the prophetic of our day. He says, God says, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. He says it through Haggai to Zerubbabel. By the way, um, the history of this played out on a small scale But you're going to find that the volume of this prophecy, I don't think that any reasonably minded person can say that everything that is embedded in this prophecy took place during Zerubbabel's lifetime for sure, or even in the immediate centuries that followed. I believe that there is a reach from this that reaches down into our day, and I'll tell you what I mean. But let's not miss this. When God has determined to do a work and especially the kind of work that will culminate at the end of the age. There is no getting around it. It's going to be a major shakeup. It is going to have a, a discombobulating effect, a seismic effect on the inhabitants of the planet when God does this. And over and over again, all the way really from the book of Genesis, but building through the minor and major prophets, you're gonna find this theme repeated often. God's saying, there's coming a day and I'm gonna shake the cosmos. There's coming a day I'm going to shake the inhabitants of earth. There's coming a day that I'm going to bring the proud down. There's coming a day where I am going to uncreate what I once uh, created. I'm going to recreate even to the extent of a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus was speaking of the signs of the end of the age, part of what he described involved seismology. It involved the issue of of shaking and earthquakes that are going to grow in frequency and intensity. And although we can grasp that geologically, matter of fact there was a a uh, 7.4 earthquake this morning in New Zealand tsunami warnings uh, warnings going off. About three years ago, I just did a study, a catalog study from uh, Seismic Reports, and, and just you can see it. It's when it's mapped out. You can see we are not only tracking more because technology has grown. Since technology has been able to track them, the, the shaking of the earth is happening in greater intensity. That means it's shaking more violently, but it's also shaking more often. say, well, I don't know about all that. Well, you better listen to your Savior, because He said, yeah, before I come, there's going to be earthquakes that are going to be recurring. (laughs) There is a spiritual parallel, and God's going to deal with that here in just a moment. But the reason why I believe there's an urgency about who we are and what we're doing is friends, if we are willing to extract our heads out of the proverbial sand and look at what is happening around us globally, what is happening in the stellar regions as we're beginning to see all just increasing reports of strange things that are going on in the celestial realm with planets and stars and meteors and God help us for all of the, the reports of the UFOs and all of this stuff. Think whatever you want about it, but there there is a a great amount of attention looking beyond our atmosphere and wondering what's going on out there. And then it's happening of course in the terrestrial with the shaking. And we shouldn't be surprised by it because the Son of God, He didn't scream it, He didn't shout it, but He did say it. He said, yeah, this is going to happen and when you see it happening, accompanied with many other things, he's, He's teaching us, just know that I'm on my way. Why did he tell us that? Because he didn't want us to be caught like people that didn't assume. He actually equated himself in one one illustration as a thief that breaks in at night when nobody's expecting it. And he says, I want you to expect me when I come. Here's some of the things to be looking for. Well look in verse number 22 because I'm going to come back to all of this. Y'all just bear with me. Y'all are so patient. God removes all doubt. This is what the shaking is going to look like. And again, has it had some historical fulfillment? Yes, but listen to what is being said here by God through Haggai. The shaking is going to involve he- the heavens and the earth, and on earth it's going to result in the overthrow of the throne of kingdoms. God says, I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. Has that happened yet? No. No. We have not seen a global overthrow by God of all the nations of the earth. So immediately you know this is a prophecy that has not happened yet. And if it was spoken in urgency 2,500 years ago by the prophet Haggai, how much more urgent do we need to filter that in right now? God said 2,500 years ago, Haggai tells rebel, what I'm about to do. When I tell you I'm about to do something, you're like, okay, you got 30 minutes, man. You got 30 minutes, Jeff is going to do what he said to him. This is 2,500 years ago, but God doesn't wear a watch. And so he's not interested in our concept of time. The, the fact of the matter is knowing that he said I'm about to do something as dramatic as this, it's supposed to breed within us an urgency of the hour. It's supposed to result in us saying, whoa, what am I doing with my life if he's about to do this? Why am I pouring so much into my earthiness, into my horizontal inheritance? When the Lord is saying that everything that we do and everything we invest in down here, it's not that it has no significance, it's just that it pales in comparison to the significance of what is coming. So he says, I'm going to, back to verse 22, I'm going to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. He speaks in primitive military terms, because this is what they had 2,500 years ago. And Haggai says that God says he'll overthrow the chariots and the riders. And then watch this the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. And what that speaks of is this mass confusion. Where there is uh, paternicide, is that what it's called, fraternicide, where brother comes against brother and and, and, and nation against nation and all the bloods and the tribes of the earth come in great conflict to each other to the extent that men are fighting for individualism. They're fighting for themselves and that's why they're willing to kill their brother as long as it keeps them safe and secure in what they want to do. And so when we see a prophecy like this we have to slow down, we have to friends. This is not for information. This is again to raise our awareness that God has not relented in His pursuit of the consummation of the ages for mankind. That He's not changed His mind, that He's not dialed it down a little, that He's not riding the brakes, that He hasn't forgotten about it while He's occupied with the latest and greatest angelic worship song in heaven. That the Lord is saying, "No, I decree as the unchanging God of heaven that I will bring down every human government, I will topple every human throne, I will destroy the works that men have built up in their arrogance and their pride and their insatiable appetites for greed and lust and power to the death of of, of many of the people that I wanted in the hell. You realize that 's what so many global governments have done. That people with power will use that power to serve themselves and those like them, and the result is often that the hungry and the weak and the vulnerable and the outcast and the stranger are completely forgotten while they have an insatiable bloodlust, talking about the rulers, for their own power and their own ecstasy. And God says, I will not let that continue. A quick aside here. All of us are concerned about our nation. But I want to remind each and every one of us, oppressed or oppressor, that God is a God of justice. And the scales will be balanced by Him. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we certainly know it's a fact. That's why I point you to Jesus, I say pray for those who lead us in this country. But God spoke in such a way, friends, that He removes all doubt. There is a shakeup coming, one like the world has never seen. I believe two things are going to happen in my lifetime. I believe we will see an outpouring and a revival like at least the United States of America, maybe even the world, has never seen. I actually believe that if the church will listen, seek God's face, move towards Him, paying the price, whatever that means, I believe that God will offer a revival that will dwarf Pentecost in the, the early years that followed it. Amen. I believe that can happen in our generation. I also believe on the back end of that there's going to be a shaking. Maybe the shaking facilitates the revival. Amen. Maybe it is the shaking of the temporary that reconnects the church of the living God with the eternal. I don't know what the order is going to be, but I, will, I believe we'll see both extremes. So again, why am I saying all of this? Well, I'm going to bring you back to verse 19 in a minute, run a little further with me here. Verse 23. The promise over the redeemed. Listen to what the Lord says to the remnant, because some of you are worried about the shaking because you're too rooted in earth. I say that boldly some of you this scares you because you are much more comfortable in an earthly kingdom than what it with what it means to live as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom so here's the promise over the redeemed look heaven initiates verse 23 god says on that day declares the lord of hosts i will take you he's back now an individualized message to zerubbabel with prophetic implications i will take you o zerubbabel my servant mentions his daddy's name and the son of Shealtel declares the Lord. Now the reason why I'm I'm not even going to linger here what I want to highlight in this breakdown right here at the beginning of verse 23 is this, twice in that you find this repeated phrase in the English, this is being declared by the Lord. At one point, and he'll say it again at the end of verse 23, it's the Lord of hosts. When you see Lord of hosts in the Scripture that's like God's intimidating name. That's like oh wow don't mess with God because he's talking about the host of the angel armies the innumerable amount of angels that do the bidding of the glorious God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and as this prophetic word is being given through Haggai that deals with the toppling of human kingdoms the shaking of the world and and both in the heavenlies and on the earth it it is coming God wants to make sure that everybody remembers he says it twice there that it's coming from the God Almighty, the one who has all power and controls the heavenly armies. And so let me just say it in a very simple way. God is initiating this. (laughs) We aren't going to talk them out of it. We're not going to pray our way out of it. It's going to happen, church. Hear me on that. It's going to happen. Listen to me. The reason why we proclaim God's kingdom And not our kingdom, not even our national kingdom, not our personal little kingdom with little, you know, sandcastle thrones and and, and, and little twigs for tiaras and crowns. We don't promote our kingdom because the tsunami of God's righteousness will destroy all lesser kingdoms. It's going to happen and it comes from the authority of the one who initiated it, who calls himself the Lord over the angel armies, the Lord of the hosts. It's as if he wants to say, and in case you doubt it, I want you to know that uh, I'm going to be able to execute it with all of the power and the authority of my own heavenly army. So the king initiates it, but he also authorizes it. And I love this. This is a promise over the redeemed. I want you to recognize that the promise I'm about to unveil to Zerubbabel from God, it has an application to you right where you are today, child of God. God says this, tell Zerubbabel, even knows his daddy's name. It's as if God wants to say, I know who you are. I even know where you came from, Zerubbabel. Here's a word for you, Zerubbabel. I'm going to make you like my signet ring. I've chosen you. Now, we don't know too much about a signet ring because we're not living 2,500 years ago uh, in the Middle East. But oftentimes when a king's dominion had gone out and he would send ambassadors out to represent his kingdom. And they would have to do financial tra- transactions, real estate transactions, and sometimes they would have to enact justice. And as ambassadors, they needed to make sure that they had the ability to represent the authority of the one that had sent them forth. And so here we have the concept of a ring. Sometimes it was worn on the, on the hand, but oftentimes it was worn around a chain on the neck. And they would take that and they would make an imprint, either in wax or some other malleable substance, and it would bear the authority, either the words or the the, um, the likeness of whoever they represented, or his his domain, and it would seal. You've heard about the seals in Revelation and them being broken. It's the same kind of concept. When all of heaven was saying, who is worthy to loose the seals and open the scroll? And all of heaven and earth was scanned under the earth, in the earth, above the earth. And nobody was found. And John the beloved began to weep. Who is worthy to open it? And all of a sudden uh, the angel points John and says, this one will open it. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open it. And John turns expecting to see a lion and saw the lamb, but that's okay because it's the same person. So Zerubbabel, it's told, Zerubbabel, I'm God, I'm going to wear you around my neck or I'm going to wear you on my hand, but I'm going to use you. And you're going to be the authority that brings forth what I'm about to declare. Now, I, I just don't have time to go into uh, Hebrew history. I don't. It would be a fascinating look. Because the rubble got some things accomplished that were amazing, but this has this again has far-reaching prophetic implications, and I believe it lands squarely right now in our generation in the people of God, the blood-washed throng, the people who have bowed the knee and bowed the heart and bowed the mind and bowed the will to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have accepted Him by faith. We've trusted that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our ungodly sins, our rebellion, our sins of commission, our sins of omission, our self-righteousness that we trusted in. We came to Jesus and we saw ourselves clothed in filthy rags and we said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I will have mercy on you. I take your sin off of you. I placed it upon myself. I take my righteousness and I give it unto you. You will be a child of the Father forever and ever. And so we are not orphans. We're not even neighbors of God. We're not merely friends of God. We are children of God. And we walk in His name, we live with His authority. And there is an element that the body of Christ must recognize that we are not our culture's doormat. We are not the devil's bullseye. We are not people that have to walk around in in feigned meekness, which is really nothing more than cowardice, but we are people dispatched by God in our generation to take the message to the nations that there is a God who sits in heaven. He's established his throne forever. He's sending his son Jesus Christ to return to this earth, and we belong to him, and our message is to all of the world, and you may belong to him too if you will bow before his throne. And friends, all the more is this message urgent today. The reason why is because all of the prophetic words that are given in Scripture, Old and New Testament, prophecy in the book of Revelation, these signs are beginning to come to pass right in front of us. And It takes a willfully blind generation to shrug it off and presume it's business as usual on planet Earth. I, for one, can't do that. New Bridge Church... Neither can you. And so, I hope you'll begin to see yourself like a signet ring on the hand of God. That wherever God moves, wherever God reaches, that you're there and when he moves you forward when he extends his arm and you sense that he's calling you or sending you or moving you just remember he's not just kind of shooing you off into the great unknown you're a ring on his finger with all power with all authority and the work that he begun in you he will perform it until the day of jesus christ why because power accompanies and again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna linger here because i got a video i really want to show you here in just a minute. He just says again, this is coming from the Lord of hosts. I've already covered that. So I'm going to go down to the last verse. Let's let's finish where we started. This this question's worthy of a second glance. Is a seed yet in the barn? Because you and I both know if we're going to harvest, we've got to plant first. We have to till the ground. We have to prepare the soil. It's a lot of work. To accomplish what God has given us to do and in the name of Jesus quit waiting on your pastors to doing it some of you are so busy in the kingdom let that pass right over you you don't need that word but some in the kingdom have been trained in churches to let the guys that get the paycheck on Thursday do the kingdom work and we'll come and encourage them on Sunday that is such a lie straight out of the pit of hell there there are times I don't want to talk myself into getting fired but I might but here there are times I wish I didn't get a paycheck there are times I wish I wasn't on staff at a church. There are times where I wish that that kind of paradigm—and and, listen—that may happen in this nation, yes. where where we don't have church houses to go to and we don't have uh, uh, nonprofit uh, sending houses for missionaries. That day may come, but for right now, what I want to say is this: Whether you get a paycheck or not for your kingdom work, you're an ambassador for Jesus. Wherever you go, wherever you are, I mean He is not only with you, He is in you, and He really wants to do something in your life. And He wants to do something through your life. And we, don't, we do not need greater opportunities, I can promise you that. If there's one thing I know that the church does not need is greater opportunities. We need greater awareness and greater commitment. And and when we have the awareness, we'll see where He's doing, we'll see where He's extending that hand, we'll see where He's moving, and when we have that greater commitment, we'll say, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Lord, I want to do it. Lord, just use me here at work. Use me in my family. Use me in the marketplace. Use me in in the grocery store. Use me on vacation. Lord, send me overseas somewhere. Or Lord, use me in my home church. Use me in the nursery. Use me in the parking lot. Lord, use me. Put a hammer and a chisel in my hand. Let me build something in the name of Jesus to help somebody. Lord, use me. In the kitchen, let me bake something for somebody. What I'm saying is, there's opportunity everywhere. We don't need more. That's right. We need greater awareness and a deeper urgency. That's right. Why? Because God said 2,500 years ago, I'm about to do something. What are you about to do, Lord? I'm going to shake up everything. So, this, this question is worthy of a second glance, verse 19. It's, it's intentional conviction. I can, I'm not fiddling with the Word of God, but I'm going I'm to apply it to your life by saying it this way. Is your seed still in the barn? Is your seed still in the barn? How do we know sometimes if that's happening? When we're living year after year in this elevated expectation, we live in the world of wishing, man I wish God would do this, or I wish God would bless me with this, or I wish God would I'd like to see this, I'd like to experience this. Like, well let me just ask you, are your feet moving? Are your hands opened? Are your knees bowed? Listen, some of this, I, I'm a big grace proponent, but I think some people have redefined grace as being God does it all, you just sit there and watch and one day He takes you to Heaven. You can't, you can't substantiate that in the Scripture. Listen, it's ministry, it's work just read Paul, the Pauline epistles, Paul's letters, I mean you're going to find over and over again he talks about work and exertion and wrestling and fighting and submitting and beating his body into submission and, and sleepless nights and fastings and, and being in prison and being tortured and being beaten and all of these things. You say, well Jeff I don't want any of that. Well that's because your seed's in the barn. Y'all pray for me to be bold and then y'all get quiet when I am. Listen, your seed, your seed may be in the barn. Or we're giving just enough seed yeah here we go to reap just enough harvest to take care of ourselves right just enough hey preacher don't tell me I'm not planting seed I'm planting seed well who's getting fed by it me well who else me anybody else oh me I don't don't want to be accusative, but listen, I'd be an idiot not to allow room for for you to think about your life. Jesus said, with the same measure that you meet, it'll be returned unto you. Paul said this, you throw a little seed, you'll get a little back. You throw a lot of seed, you'll get a lot back. Those are are kingdom truths. They're kingdom truths. They're non-negotiables. And when we're talking about this area of getting the message out, There's so many different ways that we can get the message out. Let me tell you some ways right here that are going on in your home church that most of you don't know about. And again, we're going to do a much better job in 2017, not only in communicating these opportunities, but adding to these opportunities and and calling some of you that maybe are in a place to help finance some of these opportunities. Because how many of you know advancing the gospel to the degree it needs to be done in an urgent hour costs an incredible amount of money? And so right now, just, just home, just home base here, a lot of this is being done by our young people and those that work with our young people. You've got the Atlanta Dream Center where a team goes out into the urban area down in Atlanta, and you know what they do? They go down, they don't set up a platform and a preaching and a pulpit. They go out and they play with the kids and they love the kids, and at times there will be uh, works that they go down there. And they just want to show these kids who don't have a whole lot. That you know what? Jesus has so loved me that he's, he's poured so much love in me. I can't keep it within me. Let me spill some on you. And they go down and they do this. Now listen we're, I appreciate that it is. It's very encouraging but we're not puffing ourselves up. I'm just trying to make you, you aware of what God's already doing at your church. you got the Winder Nursing Home. That's the other end of the spectrum. We're At the Atlanta Dream Center they're working with children at the nursing home in Winder. They, they go up there and, and they're working with the elderly and the forgotten and the outcast. And it's not always a, a real happy place for these people that live there seven days a week. But when our team goes in there, you know what they do? They play games with them. They ju- they're just being with them. They're not sermonizing. They're they're literally living out their sermon in the couple of hours that they spend with them. There's a team of men that are going into the community. This is a recent ministry. Um, John Neville, Scott Stevens, a couple of other guys are going into our community, sometimes just going straight up evangelism. I love this, man. This is like razor's edge stuff. And they're going places like the Mall of Georgia and they soak in prayer, and sometimes they're even fasting, and they're saying, Okay, Lord, now's the time to go. Lord, we're gonna take this seed out of the barn and we're gonna go up to the mall. And Lord, you just show me where you've prepared some soil. I'm gonna plant that seed, and I'm gonna wait on you to give the increase. I mean, we're talking about brass tacks, grassroots evangelism. By the way, the reason why I love promoting that is because if you can do that and recognize that God can use you in that and you can overcome your fear in that, you can do any other type of evangelism. Once you've come to that place, where that's how I cut my teeth. Man, I didn't know squat when I first got saved, but if I saw a dude walking, I didn't even pray, I don't even know if it was the Holy Spirit, but if I saw a guy walking down the road, I was single, 24, barely sober, just a couple of weeks, and I'd pull over, I'd get out of my car on the highway, put my hazards on, walk up to some stranger on the highway with a gospel track, hey man, I've been saved recently, do you know Jesus? And it wasn't overly effective, I didn't see the masses coming to Jesus, but what it did is it, it built two things in me, a deep reliance upon the Lord, and also just a courage to say, we've got the best news that has ever existed, and yet we're keeping it in the barn. A harvest has never occurred in the barn. It's never occurred in the barn. It occurs outside of the barn. And when it's big enough, they'll bring it back to the barn and people get fed off of it. But you don't reap a harvest in the barn. So we've got King's Kids, and you're going to hear so much more in January. I'm so excited about this, where this church is going to be an instrument in our county to make an impact on children in the foster care system in our county. And I believe from this it's going to to spring, it's going to move. Do you know that some of you, I believe this, I'll speak this, in the name of Jesus, some of you will be fostering your first child by the end of 2017. Some of you are going to be doing it, and some of us are going to come alongside those that are, and we're going to help them with the practice needs of what it means to foster a child we've got 600 kids in our county in the foster care system that don't have anywhere to live they're they they they're just sometimes bounced from place to place brothers and sisters getting split up and God has raised up right here in our church a handful of people that have said Jeff this is our seed that we have to get out of the barn and that's coming in January. You don't think you make a life, a difference in the life of a child when you bring them out of a, a hellish place sometimes, and you bring them into a gospel home, and they're loved by gospel parents and gospel siblings, and Jesus is real in that home. See, that's a whole lot different than preaching a 55-minute sermon on a Sunday. Both are valid in their own rights, but I'm going to tell you something. I think that kind of ministry, the fostering with King's kids, is likely to have a more lasting impact than any single sermon I will ever preach. Got Project Rescue with Dave Farmer rescuing girls from the sex trafficking industry, and there's some developments in that that they're exploring right now. Dave Dave and his team have been doing this for years with Crisis Rescue International. But friends, that's, that's housed right here in our church. That ministry is connected into our church we got the campus outreach with Bart Jones. Bart's here this morning and and, and working and meeting millennials and sharing the gospel of Jesus in a relevant way on the Georgia Tech campus. The same thing with Taylor Lazenby up at the University of North Georgia. Similar ministries. Both of these men are here in our church. And I promise you, they're not going to say, no, you can't help me. (laughs) you got Dennis Pruitt with Warriors and the Workers and the Winners. And I love this. We talked, I talked about Dennis while he wasn't there on, on Saturday at the uh, men's retreat and just talking about how when I think of the hands of God, I think of Dennis. Yes. And those hands have always got a tool in them and he's mobilizing teams and talent and resources to meet the physical needs of people that can't help themselves. You got the prison outreach with Mike McKnight and Ron Smith and they're going into our prison systems. There's strategic partnerships going on right here in our community between New Bridge and other local churches. And we're we're in the planning stages. Pastor Dustin and I are in the planning stages networking with other pastors, working on some things that we believe. I mean listen, when I say we believe I'm not saying, man I hope it happens. We actually believe that God initiated it and God will complete it working with strategic partners in our region. We believe that God is doing a work regionally here. And, and I don't. He may be doing it elsewhere, but I don't live there. This is where I live, and this is where I sense the hand of God moving so strongly. I hope He's doing it everywhere, but I know one thing: He's stirring up local pastors' hearts here in this region across denominational lines—Baptist, Church of God, a Wesleyan, a Methodist. I keep meeting these guys, and they're all saying the same thing: "Man, I'm stirred." I'm meeting people that come from non-charismatic backgrounds saying, "I'm getting hit by the Holy Spirit in ways that I don't have anybody to talk to." I've got power. Pastors that are calling me from out of state say, hey man, we heard what happened to you. It's happening to me. What do I do? <laughs> and I'm like, glory. Yeah. And the reason it excites me so much is when God starts churning something he's not doing it for a sideshow he's not doing it because he needs attention he's stirring it's like man when you, when you turn your motor on when you, when you turn your engine on and you, and you just rev it a little bit and, you, and you're getting there you, there's a sound and a noise before the engagement happens and so what I'm hearing now is that that, that preliminary work and something's on the back side of this we've got a partnership in El Salvador with the Hijos del del Rey, which is just simply King's kids in Spanish. Nathan Young has completed his work in Scotland. He'll be with us, I believe, just to stop in next Sunday, and he'll be preaching for us in early December. He completed his work, and now we're going to have the privilege of just helping him move into that next chapter. A job begun, a job well done, and a job completed.